And one of the things we talk about is if we don't give effort, if we're not recognized for effort at the University of Oklahoma, then I'm a con man and they're a fraud. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast brought to you by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Google Podcasts, pretty much wherever you get a podcast. So if you like it, you know, go and rate us five stars. We really appreciate it. And I'm your host, Kamir Marabi, and joined today by co-contributor at Crimson and Cream Machine, Seth Oliveris. Seth, how's life and how's, how, how are you doing? Uh, you know, all things considered, uh, can't really complain too much. Um, just uh, enjoying this uptick in weather now. It seems like we've officially reached 90s and, you know, kind of coasted here. So I'm trying to go outside as much as I can. But, you know, it's what it is. And we still, still got a lot of stuff we're dealing with on the social media mm-hmm. uh, platform. And so I've, I've actually spent a little bit more time online. Um, for good or for for better or for worse, but you know, I'm okay. Yeah, it seems like like you said, it seems like we have essentially coasted into almost like summer, and like a lot of these meteorologists seem really upset that nothing catastrophic happened in the month of May. Uh, yeah, especially in it's large cities, like they're even covering tornadoes. They're they're even covering old tornadoes like from years past on the news, which is really weird. It's like, it's, it's like watching reruns of old football games, except for them as tornadoes. And now like you have Oklahoma meteorologists down in Texas covering Texas tornadoes and Texas weather events, because nothing really happened in the state of Oklahoma for the exception of like three storms. But yeah, it's pretty odd. And like you said, a bunch of things going on. I mean, you got still the virus still happening, uh, I mean, nobody's forgotten the virus has happened because people would like to say, oh, well, it's like the virus doesn't happen anymore. No, people are very aware. But, of course, there are more pressing issues like human rights at stake. And so that's, a, <laughs> you know, that's, that's some, sometimes things are more important than a virus that many of us, I mean, I'm not saying that like, oh, it's only an old person thing, but many of us will recover from. And as, as we'll talk about later on the podcast, uh, that's going to be a, a major trend as we've seen already from Oklahoma state, as we've seen from Alabama, as we've seen from West point army, um, that that'd be a reason that Oklahoma probably won't play the, uh, the, uh, Academy at West point. They're not going to play them. So, but let's, let's a, it's a good, it's a good time to transition on into what we're talking about. First of all, Lincoln Riley had a zoom conference the other day and it lasted about 30 ish minutes long. And Lincoln Riley is actually really good with words. And he, uh, Unlike Bob Stoops, I'm not saying Bob was bad, but Bob had a little bit of a stammer to where he would really pause to make sure he was saying the right thing, and um, he he would hold he would hold back certain things. I feel like whereas Lincoln uh, seems to be very transparent in his thoughts and his beliefs and on several things, and people forget Lincoln Riley was with the team in 2015 when the whole SAE stuff went down. And he was on one of the guys on the forefront of all that stuff as far as, like, things not being welcome on the University of Oklahoma's campus. So let's talk about Lincoln Riley. Uh, first of all, his thoughts on the virus. I mean, he seems to be a guy in which people are now looking at and saying, okay, maybe he is pretty well, what's sort of aggressive, not aggressive. Uh, what's what I'm looking for? He just seems 
pretty cautious in his mindset of returning players to campus on July 1st, whereas people thought originally, wow, that July 1st. But so what are your, what are your thoughts on Lincoln Riley having players on campus July 1st, making sure they quarantine beforehand and making me taking a really, really slow approach to all this and how that might affect football in the fall. I, I think since day one, since I've been hearing him and also Joe Casaleon, athletic director, talk about this, uh, you know, kind of like really measured approach that they're taking. I've been all for it. I mean, yeah, it, when you hear other, about other schools around the, the country and even within the, the Big 12, their plans of returning players in early to mid-June, it's a uh, at first you want to kind of think, well, if they're coming back, why can't OU or, um, you know, what's, is there going to be a competitive advantage for them and, you know, disadvantage for the Oklahoma. Um, but I, I see it as like, they're still going to have enough time with that date, that timeline, enough time to, to come together as a team, work out, eventually get to, you know, fall practice and have a solid six weeks at least, you know, I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head how many uh, practices they're allotted now in the fall, but that it's, it's all there still. Like it's all um, possible. So I, I, I'm totally for it. I don't, I don't think I've ever been against it or worried that, that uh, Oklahoma might be kind of getting passed up or slipping because of this, I I think what Lincoln is kind of doing and, and how open and vocal he is about it, um, I think it's a really good thing for OU and the, the university and really called football in, in, as a whole because he is one of the top coaches in the, in the FBS. And, you know, yeah, he hasn't gotten over the hump in the playoffs, but he's, he's a – almost as much of a household name as, you know, some of the other big names out there. So, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, as soon as the Big 12 came out and said, oh, all right, well, June 15th, that's the day in which the football athletes and several other athletes on several Big 12 campuses, that's the day in which these people will be able to return to campus, and that's the day that they'll be able to start workouts, whether they be monitored in different ways and, you know, of course, how they're going to go about differentiating instruction and workouts and make sure making sure everybody's or trying to make sure everybody's safe and I mean immediately the text I got from somebody as soon as the Big 12 passed June 15th was well great fantastic they're already a week behind the SEC who said June 7th or 8th was the date that they were going to return and then me knowing there were words and rumblings of, hey, OU, Lincoln Riley's, they're not going to return until maybe late June, July, beginning of July. I was thinking that's three weeks of practice or just really, really, it would honestly be three weeks of conditioning or two weeks of conditioning and maybe one week of practice. Um, But that was the text I got. And I was thinking, well, I mean, like, if you don't like the – if you don't like the Big 12 being behind the SEC for a week of practice, you're not going to like what Lincoln Riley's going to do. And, I mean, all in all, people are totally forgetting that, yes, we we as people, we really miss sports. We miss competitive uh, 
action we miss things um that are just like very raw raw that we can root for because there hasn't been a lot to root for these days lately i mean people that don't like soccer is trying to tune into the Bundesliga over in Germany <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, I, and I, and I love yeah, Bayern Leverkusen. I'm a Leverkusen fan, but you know, there's Leverkusen, you know, over in Germany is, it's not the same as the pageantry that you grew up with regarding like OU football. And I know those fans are more passionate. Soccer fans are actually more crazy than football fans in the United States, but you grow up, you know, being an Oklahoma Sooner fan, you grow up wearing crimson and cream, you grow up doing a lot of other things. So that, that, you know, that OU is in your heart. And so with people like they want that. And all you've seen is baseball argue about when they're going to return, which I think they kind of are coming to an agreement or already did. The NBA is actually on track and people are just like, they're just want something to root for because it's been just honestly really shit year. <laughs> like, if you ever like we've always explained we've always categorized things as like something that was really really bad where several things come together and it's like anything that can go wrong will go wrong and we've categorized things as clusterfucks i think the year 2020 you can just really say yeah that was one big clusterfuck of just like bad things where like you just need some inspiration you need some hope you need something to latch on to and um and i think that that's just something that people need in the fact that lincoln riley's taking that sort of approach i think is fantastic because he's a player's coach he's a guy that wants to have his players back he's not going to rush them into practice he's not going to rush them into into games knowing that it may not be safe and you know following that trend um he of course with the current events happening um, having the Black Lives Matter and, he, and him actually tweeting out that hashtag and him saying he stands with his players 100% and calling you know calling all his players and after some a little bit of dissent because it seemed like you know a lot of college coaches and presidents of universities and ads were really silent on all of this like and uh, we're just like all looking around like okay this is getting really eerie and players are starting to speak out and saying hey um where are my coaches now they say they love me on the field but now it doesn't seem too apparent when they're being silent and of course uh there was a couple of players on OU's football team that voiced their opinion and then shortly after those things were taken down and it came out that Lincoln Riley had called all those players uh, and especially in group chats or group group messages and then group calls and one-on-ones and I thought that was pretty special um and then Chance Silby who's of course a an undergrad graduate of political science and then a criminal justice major coming out with his own version of, you know, I guess, what would you say? Policing the police. <laughs> it's yeah. a pretty interesting thing going on on OU's campus right now. And what would you, I mean, how, how do you think, and just to yourself, and then we'll get to like the average person, but to yourself, how, how did you react to Lincoln Riley's, adaptation to what the world is going on with right now with you know the black lives matter movement that's been going on for several years now it's just this has not been the first year that people are aware of but what was your reaction to his reaction regarding all of that i just i saw it and because his, his kind of uh i guess when he finally came out with the the statement and everything it was 
it was just right to me. I saw it and I just felt like this is, it's, he's standing for what's right and he's not being silent about it. Like so many others are starting to, you know, let their voice use their massive, massive platforms to, to finally show people that it's, it's more than just what some people think it is. If they think it's less than a human rights issue or a civil rights issue, it's because that's what it is. We're, I mean, this is probably, I might be totally missing a ton of things here, but this is probably the biggest, um, I guess, moment in history as far as like civil rights go since the civil rights movement in the 60s. Um, because the, because of just the, the scale, I think, of the, the spotlight that is on America right now. Um, and because we're seeing, you know, the people from all over the world in different countries talking about George Floyd and the protests and, and they are protesting around the world. Um, so when I saw Lincoln Riley, yeah, you know, finally kind of say something about it, I, I was, it was like a sigh of relief and just, I just, I, you know, just instead of shaking my head, I'm nodding my head. Yeah. And we talked about this before we started recording that it seemed like because people were just like waiting and, and waiting. And it seemed like honestly that they had to get approval from whoever powers that be to make those statements because I don't remember what day it was. I mean, of course, being up all night, uh, following on Twitter everywhere on all the, in all the big cities, all of a sudden you see a tweet from Brian Odom, uh, inside linebackers coach that, you know, of course, you know, mentioned he was backing all his players and, uh, he hashtagged black lives matter. And I was like, okay, that's the first OU coach. That's pretty interesting that he's the first one. And then about 20 minutes later, Lincoln Riley came out with his statement as well before the several other statements he would then make uh, subsequently after. And then the next morning, that's when you saw stuff from like Bill Beatenbow in which he was like, I had no idea what to say, but I'm saying things now. And then of course, several other coaches and players on the team. And then all of a sudden you have a lot of guys, you know, just really expressing their, their gratitude for their coaches and having their backs. And of course, um, that's always, that's always great. You know, it's, it's, you want to see coaches that have their back and you know, th- there's a big kudos to Tom Herman on that front. I mean, like I, I don't like Tom Herman. I think he's a, an arrogant smug idiot, um, to say the least, but the man was, the man was the first one on the train, um, so to speak regarding a lot of this, especially down south here in the big, like in the Midwest, or whatever you want to call it, in the Big Twelve, in Texas. I mean, as the dude has Texas, a you know Austin, Texas, which you know you typically, I would not imagine him have saying this ever uh, in Austin. In Houston, I would have said, yeah, it makes sense. Austin, with that, with that, uh, the demographics there, I would not have imagined him saying it. I mean. You know, for those that don't like people reading direct quotes to them, I'm sorry, but uh, I think it's pretty prevalent that I do because it's pretty interesting. He says, you know, can the average fan relate? No, they can't. He said it's a double standard, maybe a little bit, that we're going to pack 100,000 people into DKR and millions watched on TV that are predominantly white. That's what I was getting at with the demographics. 
He said, not all of them certainly, but most of them white. We're going to cheer when they score touchdowns, and we're going to hug our, hug our buddy when they get sacks and reception. And then he says, but are we going to let them date our daughters? Are we going to hire them in a position of power in our company? That's the question I have for you, America. You can't have it both ways. And then he doubles down and says, and if you're going to cheer them in love for them for three and a half hours on the Saturday in the fall, you better have the same feelings for them off the field because they're human beings. They deserve the same amount of respect and human rights that all of us do in this country when we agreed on the social contract to be a member of the United States with some John Locke in there. And I appreciated that. And I was like, wow, that's like, I've, I've never seen, like we've seen Tom Herman mock quarterbacks on a football field. We've seen Tom Herman mock other players. We've seen Tom Herman almost fight Mike Gundy. We've seen Tom Herman uh, headbutt a player with his helmet on. And we've seen Tom Herman fail to, knock a hole through a locker room with a sledgehammer and we've seen him just have countless moments of just like are are you the guy that's really leading texas and then he comes out with a statement like that and you're like i got nothing for respect for that i really appreciated that from tom herman i mean i just i just i mean i i had to double check to see if that was from tom herman it's just unbelievable and like just to see that he was first i really appreciated that i mean do you have anything to add to that i'm right there with you as far as you know the (laughs) the things we know about tom herman that have kind of shaped his career since he's since he became a the texas coach um and yeah to see that that came from him another thing not only was he one of the first, if not, you know, one of the first major coaches to, to come out and say something publicly, but compared, and it's not a contest, but compared to what other coaches have said, his also still sounds the most, I don't know, off the cuff, just kind of, you know, actually speaking without, you know, a prompt or something. Right. Which I'm not to say anybody else is or disingenuine. I don't think Lincoln Riley, you know, said what he said and didn't mean it, not at all. But, you know, like the line about, would you let them date your daughters? Like, that's, like, that's one of the points that really stood out to me. And that's, so I commend him for saying something early. I commend him for what he said. Uh, Yeah, I just, I have, I, I can't believe it. But yeah, like Tom Herman, like definitely, you know, went up a notch or two in my book, which, I mean, I'll always have like that friendly disdain for him as uh, just with the whole rivalry thing, but mm-hmm. you know, off the field now, I can definitely look at him in a little bit different light. Yeah, I agree. It seemed it seemed like that it wasn't a prepared statement. It was him just saying, you know what, like this is some BS, and like I mean, these are student athletes, and this is something that I've long, long thought about. Uh, people that you know maybe weren't very fond of other diverse people. I was like, you're going to cheer for these people uh, on Saturdays and Sundays and any other day in the NBA season, but then you have a different feeling toward them after Uh, that seems rather wrong. Um, But I mean, life goes on. Uh, Hopefully there is change because of course it's needed. And I agree. I think this is a, I think, I think that this movement is the, one of the largest you know, human rights and civil rights movements since the sixties and it's gone global. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive what humans can do when they actually 
band up together. I uh, really like that. But let's get into some football talk. Um, yeah. As if we haven't lost several listeners right now, but it's okay. <laughs> I think I think that's fine by me. If uh, you really hated that conversation, but anyways, um, so Brandon Marcello of Two Four Seven Sports said that OU is going to take a step back this year, and they said there's going to be a new team that's going to take a step forward and probably win a title or two in the next couple of years. And they then said something along the lines of Marcello something along the lines of that. It wasn't going to be Texas. It was actually going to be the other, the other school in Oklahoma that Oklahoma state was going to win the big 12. And they suggested that, well, Oh, you doesn't like one of their big selling points was, Oh, you no longer has a transfer quarterback leading their way. Now they have a red shirt freshman who albeit is a five-star quarterback. He's still a red shirt freshman and he is still not a transfer. And of course, the biggest ding, which is true, he says that Oklahoma has no Sidarian Lamb, no CD Lamb, that he's going to take a backseat to Gundy, who's going to start winning 10 games a year again, despite him slipping in the recruiting rankings every single year. Um, before we even get into the specifics about that, what is your, like, hearing that, what is your thought that, like, wow, he thinks OU is going to take a, a step back, which is fair to say after replacing experienced quarterbacks and then subsequently saying, Oh yeah, Oklahoma state's going to be actually a lot better than people are. And that's it. Um, so we haven't talked uh, about this specifically yet, this, but I'm, I'm interested to see what you have to say, but I'm half with him. I'm the side that I agree with him on is that or I believe that Oklahoma state will get back to 10 games. I actually did a, like, I went through schedule by schedule, like might have been early April, just just because I was bored and there's nothing to do because you know quarantine and stuff. But um, and I I ended up with Oklahoma State going ten and two, um, losses at TCU and Oklahoma, <laughs> um, and that surprised me honestly because I don't think if like just thinking about it without looking at their schedule like, beforehand, I would have thought they would have got back to 10 wins um so with that yeah just with what they've got returning and everything yeah I, I see them kind of rising back up again maybe that's wishful thinking just because like I kind of like it when they're better mm-hmm. just I don't know just, it makes that whole bedlam and everything just a little bit more fun but the part I definitely disagree with him on um and maybe it's wishful thinking on his part <laughs> it's like so many others parts of that Oklahoma is going to take a step back because of insert you know blank quarterback here yeah. is gosh here and insert top wide receiver is no longer like it just seems like we've kind of done this every year that Lincoln Riley has been in Norman like even back to his coordinator days just it at this point I just feel like what more does he have to prove that like though if that's the reason you're kind of going to that's not going to be the reason that the team takes a step back if anything it'll have to it'll have to be I think on the defense again and I mean, I'm I am a believer in Alex Grinch, so I I think he will improve that unit again, um, even though there's a lot of uh, kind of unknowns up front, especially. But um, I I just don't see it. I mean, I think anybody who's really paid attention to Spencer Rattler, like not only what he did in high school, but what he's kind of been doing and mm-hmm. everything, it it doesn't look like he's he's going to be a step back. <laughs> I mean. There's a lot of people that would argue it would have been a step up last year <laughs> in uh, 2019. But um, 
and then wide receiver. Um, it's it's a shame that uh, Jaden Hazelwood had that injury, and also uh, Theo Howard. Uh, I guess he he could still come back. It, it looks like there's a chance, but um, that I still just not really worried about that position either. And I mean, I think I think what people really aren't taking into account the offensive line. I mean, yeah, that alone, I feel like it it's going to be improved unit just by experience. Um, but then just talent wise, once again, just has some of the best talent. So I don't know. I think, I think at worst barring crazy injuries and et cetera, you know, acts of God, I think at worst Oklahoma will just have like a repeat season as maybe record wise and maybe result wise as a 2019. But I don't see them taking really any step backs at all. Yeah, and like and Lincoln Riley was asked that for the what the fourth or fifth year in a row. I mean, about having offenses with Baker Mayfield and then Kyler Murray and at Big Twelve Media Days last July, Barry Trammell says, I mean, like you've had the best dynamic quarterbacks in history. Literally. They both won Heisman's and they both went first overall. I mean, um, how much of a step back do you plan to take on offense in two thousand nineteen? And Lincoln said, Well, none. And everybody kind of scoffed. And then when it didn't happen and actually had more yards and the offense was, it wasn't more explosive. They didn't have more explosive plays, uh, but they still were one of the best, actually the best offenses in the, in the country. People were like, Oh dang. Okay. Well, never mind. Then that's what they like it a lot. A, not a brand new offensive line, but damn near brand new offensive line. Yeah. Creed's the only one returning. And now you've got Creed returning with, other starters, you could – I mean, if you plugged in last year's starters, you have all five guys coming back. Now, I have a lot of intuition in which that says Stacy Wilkins really needed the spring and really needed the summer to really compete with Eric Swenson at left tackle. Um, but regardless, Oklahoma's still returning five offensive starters on the offensive line alone. That doesn't – and that doesn't, you know – include other guys that are coming back. So I, I, I looked at that and I said, okay, well, what is, I know OSU's returning Spencer Sanders, who was hurt at the end of last year. They're returning Chuba Hubbard and they're returning Tylen Wallace and that's that and Dylan Stoner. And that, that's enough to say, all right, yeah, they're going to be pretty good. And I looked down into, you know, the starters looked down at their coordinators and stats and stuff like that. And it, and it, and it looks, it looks pretty interesting. I mean, you know, Marcello might have a point regarding, OSU's rise, like you said, to 10 games a year, yeah, that's fine because looking at their defense, Oklahoma State returns essentially nearly 11 guys. They had had, had 10 guys returning on defense. They're replacing A.J. Green, and they have another guy that got several several minutes and snaps and playing time in the last fall that you're like, okay, they, they return essentially 11 starters, mostly 10 on defense. And you have Jim Knowles going into his third year as defensive coordinator which is first year they had him go 91st and 60. Then the second year they had him go 67th in total defense. You know, like what are they going to do with the third year when they have 10 starters back on defense. And then of course on offense, they're missing two offensive linemen and then I think a receiver, but they return, of course, that dangerous trio of Chuba, Tylen and Spencer Sanders in which Casey Dunn's in his first year as offensive coordinator, but he's been with OSU for nearly a decade. He was like their wide receivers coach for a while. And then you look on the flip side of the OU, he returns eight starters on offense, but without a quarterback, without their most dynamic and probably one of the best 
wide receivers in school history, if not the best wide receiver in school history, C.D. Lamb. And they don't return Nick Basquin, who people forget was a starter. Um, you have the entire offensive line back. You've got Jeremiah Hall back, Stogner's back. You've got Kennedy Brooks back. You've got Stevenson back when he gets back from suspension. Um, and then that's where you kind of are having issues, right? You don't have a Jaden Hazelwood because he tore his ACL. You have Theo Howard, who had an Achilles issue, which should be available midseason. Um, you've got, you know, Obi Obiallo, who's that people are wondering, okay, why did they take this transfer from Marshall? And now you're glad they took that transfer from Marshall. And uh, you, you have a lot of unknowns. You have Theo Weiss, who looked really good in the Baylor game, but didn't really play much anywhere else. You have Trajan Bridges suspended again, uh, uh, just like Ramondre Stevenson and just like Ronnie Perkins. So you're like, okay, you know, he have, all these guys aren't doing themselves any favors. So it's like, okay, they've got the run game. And they've got a guy that we all know, especially behind the scenes, has thrown balls that Jalen Hurts could not make those throws in practice, just knowing and, and hearing. And this, this, it's just, it's incredible that what you hear about what Spencer Rattler was doing in practice, throwing the ball as far as ball skill wise, what Jalen Hurts could not do in his senior year that Spencer was doing in his first year. And so you're just, your question mark is wide receivers and a quarterback even though Oklahoma is going to be able to lean on their run game for, for quite a bit uh, in the first half of the season. And then the defense is where you most notably get it back is that they return eight to nine starters on defense. I mean, you, you aren't returning Neville Gallimore. You aren't returning Kenneth Murray. You are not returning Parno Motley. Um, and so that's what, that's what you worry. Cause you, those are three guys that are pretty significant contributors to the defense and so you you return eight to nine stars depending upon what you label Caleb Kelly right and um, Grinch goes into his second year as DC but he's what's I think is interesting is that you're taking players that from the year previously with under Mike Stoops and then subsequently Ruffin McNeil after the Texas game that went nearly last in several Big 12 categories to the middle of the pack and really, really low down in defensive S&P in the nation, you take them from, you know, 84th to a top 50 team in his first year with those same exact players without you recruiting anybody, and you return eight to nine starters into that second year and wondering what that looks like, I think that, if anything, Oklahoma is going to be able to lean on their offensive line especially with the quarterback that's a redshirt freshman. He's not a true freshman. He's a redshirt freshman. And you're able to lean on the offensive line for the run game and the accurate, you know, ball on a frozen rope from Spencer Rattler that can make the throws. And then defense in the second year into that system, along with the depth that Oklahoma is developing, maybe not on the offensive side of the ball right now, especially with the receivers, because they definitely have some issues going on there. But everywhere else where they are developing depth, I think that's where Oklahoma has a lot of clout where Oklahoma State doesn't. So I think that it's just like it's they said it is in Marcello said in the article saying, hey, you know, they've got an offensive line that's returning a lot of guys, but they don't have a transfer quarterback. I know C D Lamb, and that's fair. Because no, there's no Jaden Hazelwood that everybody thought would be the C D Lamb, you know, place carrier. And now that's not the that's not the thing. So would you suggest or would you would you think that Oklahoma does play Oklahoma State in the Big 12 title game? Do you think there's a major possibility of that happening? 
Yes, that's actually that's how that's that's my Big Twelve championship uh, game for twenty twenty is that matchup right there. Just bedlam round two, just a week. It's a week later, I believe, right? Or no, no, Oklahoma State plays Texas at the end. Yeah, because be- bedlam is like in the middle of the season this year. Yeah, it's yeah, so it's really, weird, and I really, really hate that. Yeah, I, I love it when it's you know post Thanksgiving or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I I know in I know I read a lot of message boards like that's like one of my guilty pleasures for sure, um, especially post game, and uh, some of the Oklahoma State message boards, they they love to talk about how much they hate playing OU at the end of the season because it's just like we'll we just like end the regular season on this super sour note, <laughs> like every year, <laughs> like so they would I'm sure a lot of Cowboys fans love not having to play OU the end of November but um yeah it's it's weird but yeah that's that's my that's my pick that's I'm kind of going with the trend that it's always going to be OU in another Big 12 team just for their first time since the Big 12 championships been back so it was TCU in 17 Texas 18 yeah 19 so I'm, I'm and and maybe if it does happen to be OSU then next year I'll just go with you know I would say or something just I'm just gonna keep that thing just going just it's gonna be a different team every time until someone repeats and honestly like playing OSU at the end of the year <clears throat> in the middle of the year excuse me is probably not good for OSU's chances because by that time Oklahoma has gotten Trajan Bridges back Oklahoma's gotten Ramondre Stevenson back Oklahoma's gotten probably Theo Howard back back and Oklahoma's gotten Ronnie Perkins back from suspension and a couple from injuries and it's like you don't have especially those three from suspension that are playmakers you don't have tape on those guys and how Lincoln Riley's using them Lincoln Riley's having those guys practice 100% but you don't have tape on how Oklahoma's been using them so like whereas if it's at the end of the year and you can prepare for a lot of this you suddenly don't have tape on how they're using Ronnie Perkins off the edge. You don't have tape on how they're using uh, Trajan Bridges in the slot or on the outside with Theo Wees and other guys. So honestly, if anything, that's a lot worse news for OSU that they would have one to two games of film based upon guys that are coming back from suspension in Ramondre Stevenson and how OU might use a split back, you know, a split Y with Theo Wees and Trajan Bridges and Austin Stogner, and in the backfield, you have Ramondre Stevenson and Kennedy Brooks, in which Kennedy Brooks can do something that really no Oklahoma ball carrier has done. If he stays an extra year after this year, it'd be a thousand yard rusher for four straight years. And Oklahoma hasn't had that. I don't know for, for a while. It's been a, it's been a long time if it has happened. So it's just really intriguing how that would work out. And I think that oh, you should of course win that game in Norman. And then let's to see what happens in Jerry world, even if there is a conference championship game, uh, because we're still very cloudy on what happens post Thanksgiving break when all these universities essentially are saying, don't come back till the spring. So what that means for college athletes, I don't know. And we don't know either. We're still operating off of trying to figure out how, how all of this is going to work in September, let alone November and December when there's supposedly flu season is back, which means virus season is back in general. So it's really intriguing. I think Brandon Marcho, like you said, has some has some value to what he's saying as far as OSU taking a step forward. But I don't necessarily mean I don't necessarily think, like you suggested, 
that OU takes a massive, such a massive step back that, you know, they're going to be the second class team in Oklahoma and that they maybe even finish third in the big 12 because of Texas uh, has Sam Ellinger who has not been shown to make it over the hump. And they've only been to one big 12 title game where uh, they kind of got their shit pushed in by the Oklahoma offensive line, especially, uh, Oh, what's his name? The linebacker ponytails. Uh, Yeah. It's just, it's incredible. But speaking of Austin, a court in Austin, a U.S. magistrate, Andrew W. Austin, actually, it's pretty interesting. A uh, guy's last name is Austin. He's from Austin, Texas, has ordered Baylor to hand over the Pepper Hamilton documents in which suggests about, of course, all the Title IX issues and all the scandal that's been going on at Baylor that Matt Rule actually really smoothed over. He was a really good coach for them at a time in which he took them from one win to like seven to the Big 12 title game pretty quickly. Now he's at the Giants or wherever he's at, or Carolina, excuse me. And um, and now Corden Austin, Texas, has ordered Baylor to hand hand over those documents talking about what all the allegations and scandals that happened at Baylor – and the U.S. magistrate that's ordering the docs from the court in Austin, Texas, has accused Baylor of hiding the ball in several other direct languages, saying you were acting in misconduct, you were actively hiding something, and you need to hand over those documents now. So my question is to you is, how much worse could this get for Baylor? And could this lead to maybe like the extreme worst, not just a death penalty or an SMU experience back then for just money, but could this lead to Baylor's death penalty of college football for a year and maybe even the Big 12 possibly kicking out Baylor? Hmm. I, I think because so much has already happened to Baylor, not just, you know, in the court, but um, – kind of a reputation they they've still got they still wear that stain you know it's it's not really I don't know if it'll ever wash out I mean it won't for fans you know but uh I I don't think it'll get much worse like if they do hand over and then you know the, everything is revealed I guess um I don't know I I guess that's obviously I don't know what's in those documents or what right. they could possibly be holding. But I just – maybe it's just like a cynic in me or something. I just don't think it's it, – I think the worst has already come for Baylor. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I don't think there will be uh, more punishment. I'll, I don't know. It depends on what it is too. Cause, but otherwise, it does feel like it, it would be like a kind of like a double jeopardy moment. And I don't know if that's – I mean, it, like I said, it depends on what it is. Because if it is something that just totally wasn't, you know, made aware of for others and then – it was something that's even worse and even more systemic than, yeah, they, they should obviously be, uh, the consequences should fall from that. But, uh, for now, I, I kind of feel like this won't become an issue. Do you think, it could, do you think it could be like a Joe Mixon thing where people knew that things had happened, things that had transpired and then it died down and people stopped caring for a bit. And then, Re, this stuff resurfacing, but not only resurfacing the idea behind it, but also the documents possibly go public and everybody is able to read or in Joe Mixon's case, see what had happened. Do you think that could really strike a nerve in like this whole, like, you know, like 
of all what's going on in the United States right now, that's just another thing piled on to all these social and systemic issues going on and all these other things in that it could be just similar to the whole Joe Mixon thing where people are outraged once again and it causes a lot of issues once again, but like no actual repercussions after that. That's a great comp. I actually didn't think of that, but yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that um, because yeah, just being around here in Norman and around the OU program uh, covering it, it, it really did. It felt like the mixing thing kind of was just under the rug. Like everybody knew mm-hmm. about it, but nobody was talking about it. Hey, but he was scoring touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. And then I think, I think that happened like, was it right before the draft? Uh, the I guess that's because I remember them showing it on draft night when he got picked up mm-hmm. by the Bengals. I remember them showing it, and I was like, "Well, I mean, but it was already out there like maybe weeks or months, maybe before that." But I'm pretty sure it came out post. I think it season. came out in the summer before the Sugar Bowl season when they beat Auburn because I I specifically remember him having to talk about it during the season and him getting booed quite a bit in the Sugar Bowl when he was lighting up the Tigers. <laughs> yeah, actually, now I remember that. Okay, so, yeah, I could see uh, with with these documents, if they were to, to come out and everybody's able to read them and really study them, I could definitely see, it. yeah, it would just kind of bring them back from the, from the back burner back to the front and, mm-hmm. you know, the spotlight once again on them because – because people that that topic and then that this particular case with Baylor at Baylor and under our brows that was a uh, that outraged a lot of people for mm-hmm. rightly rightfully so I mean that it was it was that that's such an ugly you know thing to happen uh, and yeah I think years later now you know we're in 2020 now the world is even more at least the, the country is even more um, sensitive to, to issues, um, all kinds of issues, but, you know, especially ones that involve harming others and you know, taking advantage and, and then trying to, you know, cover ups and whatnot that. So if, because of that, I mean, you might've just convinced me maybe just with that question, <laughs> of like, <laughs> just if, uh, so, you know, people are able to, to kind of rehash it or, reopen that book um i could see i could see more but maybe as far as like actual ramifications that like affects baylor as a a program um i'm still a little up in the air but as far as like fan just like with their reputation though they would just hit right back to zero again right if something like that happened that that to me right now is just the more likely uh, outcome I keep on thinking about when Art Bryles was rumored to have been like on staff at a university or a high school and people found out about it. People, and they raised hell and all of a sudden these universities and high schools had to reverse course and be like, Oh no, we don't uh, No, We don't have any, any relation with Art Bryles and he, we were never going to hire him and like have to call him on the side. Like, yes, yeah, our, our, it's not, not, not today, buddy. But it's like people are still going to be outraged regardless. And it's just really intriguing. So it, Let's play. I mean, this is we've we've held off for this this long. It's June, and there's nothing else to talk about. Oh, several things to talk about. There's not a lot of sports things to talk about. 
we've held off for this long and I'm really proud of the podcast we're holding off this long about talking about conference realignment. Everybody did it. Everybody spent their conference realignment stuff in May and everybody spent it in April. Like you're doing it too soon. And now that a, an opportunity is, has presented itself, it says, all right, these documents could come to public, especially when the U.S. court magistrate is involved. So let's say just for whatever reason, Baylor is kicked out of the Big 12 for a lot of wrongdoing and a lot of cover-ups and a lot of other things with a conference of nine, in which the, the Big 12 already has 10, and now they have nine. So let's say we're going to expand the conference to 12 or 14 teams. You know, let's, let's live in the name of the Big 12. Let's actually not have 12 teams because that's what the Big 12 was all about and not making much sense under Bowlesby. So if you were to add teams, what teams would you like to see added? I think the number one team, if it was just uh, just to get back to it, the, the number 10, I think the top team for me for the last maybe year and a half has been Memphis, which I don't know. I don't know what it is. it's exactly about Memphis. Just, I mean, the last couple of years, they've definitely been, um, you know, better as, a, as far as on the field product. They've, they've been kind of like right, right up there or right behind UCF in the uh, American um that's another team that I think would be interesting, but I'm still more interested in a Memphis um, club. And logistically or geographically, they're I mean, obviously a lot closer to most of these teams than West Virginia, mm-hmm. which I, I'm still kind of weird about having West Virginia. And, like, I kind of feel Same. bad for them because, like, they don't have, like, a natural, like, geographical rival anymore, which I feel like does a lot. You know, it, it that's a big deal, I think. At least in college sports, that's a I think a big yeah. deal to have. And they, they like to mix it up with Oklahoma a lot. <laughs> yeah. It seems it's, it's like they just have every, every season they have that game circled. Like no matter what happens, we're going to like set, we're going to start this many fights. Like, we're going like, to lose, but we're going to fight those guys like a motherfucker. <laughs> that's what West Virginia does. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe they picked OU to be their rival and it just hasn't worked out for them yet, at least as far as like winning, but. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that yeah they haven't beaten OU since they got the Big Twelve. Jeez. But um, I I never do talk about that Fiesta Bowl in the, at the 07 season. That was, ugh. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah I think Memphis is that team that I like um, location wise. Obviously, like it'd be really great to see see uh, you know OU or Texas travel to Memphis in October, November, and um, just. I don't know. I think I think that's I I feel like that's a team on the rise. And uh, about a year ago, I did my like twenty forty three power rankings, and I think Memphis was right up there with OU. So you know, I, for that prediction to come true, I need I need them to join the Big Twelve. That's interesting. You know, because I was when all this stuff was going down a while ago. Like, I mean, when the Big Twelve spent millions of dollars on a search firm and then actually added nobody. That was fantastic. By the way, it's a great, <laughs> great usage of uh, dollars there. <clears throat> but, um, uh, because the, what, what, what it was at the moment was, Oh, you talk, no, you, but big 12 talking to Memphis, Houston, uh, BYU, Cincinnati. And I'm sure there were a couple others. Um, but honestly, it, if I would add, honestly, I would just I would drop West Virginia and let them join the ACC or the SEC yeah. 
or something because they fit geographically more over there and it would be a lot easier for them to recruit over in the ACC or the SEC instead of like traveling to Texas and trying to convince Texas kids to go play in the Big 12 or not Texas kids to go play in the mountains in West Virginia. That's That sounds like no fun uh, because like right now they rely on JUCO guys and a lot of Florida kids. And so like go play in the ACC, go to the SEC, whatever. You have more natural rivals and more like go, go play Virginia. Like come on, like whatever. <clears throat> so like have them move over to the ACC would make a lot more sense. And they might be more a thorn in Clemson's side because Clemson plays absolutely nobody every year other than Virginia who's getting better. Virginia Tech's getting better, but they still don't match the caliber of what Clemson is becoming. And then, so that leaves us at eight. And then I would add, um, I might add Tulane down in New Orleans. Uh, that's that they have previous SEC roots. That stadium might not be big, but it can always be expanded upon more money. And uh, I mean, like getting an avenue because, like, a it takes away the Houston vibe because Houston's just further going to kill Big Twelve recruiting, and so it opens up that avenue of Houston by going to New Orleans and having Louisiana, and having a Big Twelve presence in New Orleans, and like I said, Tulane's already been in the SEC. So, like, you open up the avenue for them and it opens up Louisiana recruiting for the Big 12, which makes it a lot easier for them. And then you go – so you're back at nine. Go and capture both those Arizona schools because the Pac-12 just sucks right now. They're a dumpster fire. Nobody watches – nobody watches Pac-12 football. And for that matter, not many people watch Pac-12 basketball unless you're, like, UCLA and USC, maybe Oregon. And Oregon's the only school that's really watching football because USC and UCLA don't care that much. If you're going to be serious about football, you're not really going to go to USC that much. You would more likely go to Oregon, and that's saying a lot. So add both Arizona schools because that sounds fun, and they're geographically not too far away from everybody else. It makes more sense. So then you're at 11. So then you say, okay, what other team could I add? Could I add Colorado? That would be fun. You could poach more from the Pac-12, who's already falling apart. Could you add Arkansas? Because they're kind of fed up with some things in the SEC, but I think they're too strongly tied. But again, the whole Big 8 and Southwestern Conference, that could be fun. Um, So there's a lot of things you could do to add that 12th team. So I would first go after Nebraska because of that rivalry that Oklahoma has had with them because it seems like they are not doing very well in the big 10 and they've always belonged in the big 12. Um, so settling on Nebraska or Colorado and it makes me think, well, why not go after all three? Because for the big 12 to be as silly as it is, yeah, go after Colorado, Nebraska and Arkansas after adding, um, after adding Tulane and both Arizona schools, why not have fun and make the Big 12 14 teams? Because that sounds a lot more fun than having 10 or 8 teams or whatever. So, yeah, that's that's what I would go with. But in the future, and I, I have no idea how you would divide those conferences. I guess it, then it'd have to be East and West probably. But in the future, would you rather see the Big 12 continue to expand? Or would you rather see the Big 12 to disband along with what the Pac-12 is doing and form some other different conference and eventually what, of course, this is all going to lead up to, 
is one super conference or several super conferences with like a big 10, the sec and something else in the Midwest. What do you think? Man, um, I, I'm someone who I've always been in favor of like the big 12 expanding, um, at least like, you know, just sticking around and being just one of the conferences, but if it meant disbanding and then creating super, super conferences around the FBS, um, at least like in power five level, which it wouldn't be five, I guess at that point anymore. But, um, I, I like that. The sound of that, that sounds like something, you know, I would make in like a, you know, NCAA or something. Oh, hell yes. (laughs) Yeah. Just, just move everybody around or at least, you know, where it makes sense. And then, just like these huge leagues and, and have a good, and I mean, maybe it would even make the playoff more interesting if they stayed at four, if there was like, let's say four super conferences or something. Um, and then now, it, it, even if it's still not an automatic, you know, bid to, by winning that said super conference, like just, you could have the chance of having all your major conferences in your, in your sport uh, represented. But for now, I do want to see the Big 12 just expand. Like, I think I, I do want them to get off this 10. Like, if, if Baylor sticks around, you know, nothing nothing happens to them. I eventually want to see them add a, at least two more teams. Um, for one, so they can be back to 12. I mean, this mm-hmm. is in their name. But it maybe to create divisions again, because I think that, that part, even though it would mean that you know, it, it would go back to like, you know, with the Big 12 North and South where you didn't necessarily play everybody every year. The, the, the round robin wasn't a thing. It, it, I don't know, it feels like it adds a little bit more legitimacy to the conference race. At least like, you know, it works for the, the SEC and the Big 10 and, and stuff. I mean, ACC is just a dumpster fire, so it doesn't, it doesn't really, Clemson and everybody else for them, but uh yeah, it just, it just feels like it's – it feels like you're more on a level playing field when you have, you know, I guess like congruency across like the format of your conference. So, yeah, I do want to see expansion first. But, yeah, if if, if push comes to shove and, you know, just the Big 12 just kind of slowly crumbles into nothing, then super conferences all the way. Let's go. Yeah, and I think I think right now because people will look at the SEC model, they look at the Big Ten model, and they're like, "Well, damn!" And they, they, look, they look at the Big Twelve, and like, "Well, we're making pennies comparison to what some of them are making." But then you look at the Pac twelve, and they are just literally melting down. Like they got on all this digital stuff way too late. Nobody cares about Pac twelve football. Like they're an afterthought. Like there's a like there's a reason why people Oregon and Utah really that's what you're gonna bring to the table. Oregon and Utah, like both are new money programs. Like Oregon has historically never been that good and Utah has been Utah. They have never, they haven't even historically been a power five conference. And that's what we're working with right now. And like UCLA is just somewhere doing UCLA things and doing Hollywood things. And USC is like the primary Texas and for the West, which they're like always overhyped because they're supposed to have a lot of talent and they just, continually crap the bed even though they have now decided to go to the air raid and now they're actually looking up with a three-star quarterback who thought um but it's just i think the big 12 should continue to expand um because right now they're making money 
and should they expand and honestly eat half of the big to half of the Pac-12? It makes sense. I mean, if there if any conference is going to die soon, it's the Pac-12, and the Big 12 will reap the benefits of that. The SEC they can't make that work. The ACC they can't make that work. At the Big 12, though, I mean, Colorado's there. The Arizona schools are there. Hell, I would even just say expand West. Tell West Virginia to do something else. Expand West besides Tulane. Add both Arizona schools. Add Colorado. And add BYU and figure out that playing on Saturdays and Sundays thing for baseball. Like, figure it out. BYU's an incredible brand. Figure it out. Expand West. And do what you will with you know, West Virginia. And that's all. It's literally then would be like the Midwestern kind of like ideology behind the the Big 12. So I'm all for expansion, 100%. I mean, I, I remember a long time when all this was going down, I was a big proponent of adding BYU because although they don't add a lot basketball-wise, I'm not going to specifically say why, and, but they add a ton of culture and they add a ton of pageantry and they add a ton of football uh, history to where like in that that stadium is incredible and for you not to add that would be just a shame and like I remember having like a slew like of BYU fans like started following me on Twitter and I was like well I mean I'm just some random guy that just really wants the Cougars in the in the big 12 and of course Houston fans would get angry when I'd be like no I want the real Cougars in but it's just like come on you know but other things involved uh, not involved, actually. This dropped today. The The NBA is officially going to start in late July. So there will be some sports in July continuing the season. And they're going to have 22 teams. And, you know, they're going to be in Disney World. And they're going to play, like, glorified scrimmages, they said. And then they're going to play eight games. And then they actually host the playoffs. And the draft lottery will happen in October. And then you'll actually have the draft or – or the draft lottery will happen during the yeah, October and then the actual draft will happen a little bit later. And then the season starts in like December 1st. So NBA season starting soon. What are your thoughts on that? I'm excited for sure. Um, Cause it was looking, I mean, it hit, hit in June. It just felt mm-hmm. like, you know, are we not going to, uh, they're, they're going to have to just cancel the pull the plug on this um, or at least late May. And then, yeah, we just a couple days ago or, Maybe it was yesterday they officially announced that. But anyways, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I I mean, yeah, for one, for just I'm hungry for sports. Mm-hmm. hungry to watch something on TV that's live. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, I think it was it – was, even though it's going to be, you know, this, this season's going to be way different now um, – I'd like to see it in because I was actually keeping up with this season pretty closely compared to the last couple of years. Um, I used to be really into the NBA too, like basically since like the Thunder, you know, came to OKC yeah. back in 08. I was like really following them for a long time. And then uh, I think, yeah, the last, not this season, but the season before that and maybe even the one before that, I was mostly just tuned into the playoffs. But, but yeah, this one, I was watching it, you know, just specifically, you know, just locally, the, the Thunder, uh, they – they're looking good. I mean, yeah. I, I, I remember seeing, you know, stat, uh, kind of like little stat things about uh, the best records in the NBA since, you know, a certain date in December or something. And they were right behind the Bucks or somebody. And it's just, it's, 
it's incredible what that team is was was doing and then and they weren't supposed to be there that's the that's, that's the best part about it exactly and so uh i'd like to see that i'd like to see i'll probably end up rooting for the lakers if they get there one because my dad is a laker guy but then mm. also like the kobe thing which happened in 2020 and it just seems like that was a million years ago um oh, but February. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i uh yeah I'll, I'll be i'll probably be going for the thunder though up until if they end up you know falling out but um yeah i just i, I think i don't want to say like oh we deserve it you know because i don't, right. I don't think people deserve it <laughs> so, but uh it, it it's going to be it, it's going to be great it, it's it's going to be a great kind of just feeling out that first night while just I'm sitting there watching these teams play with, you know, I'm guessing no fans in the yeah. building. Yeah. So, but just, just to see uh, them scrimmage it out <laughs> and, and with a, with the result that actually counts. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. And, and people, and people talk about this in relation to, you know, people not tuning in because there's no fans or people not tuning in for whatever. And people mention this about, college football or just NFL football in the fall about not having, you know, many people in the stands, if any, and like you risk alienating your fan bases. Like, no, you no, you really don't because people are just, people just want sports. People want something to latch on to, to cheer for, to root for, and just to act like something is normal in the world. And I think in like, you're going to see the highest ratings ever when NBA playoffs return, especially if you can hear the players talking shit on, like in the middle of the game because crowd noise isn't going to be piped in. And if they mic the floor, oh, my gosh, it's going to be better than your average NBA game because you can hear them talking to each other. Like you're, you're missing Russell Westbrook now for the Thunder, so now you don't get to hear his like severe and probably like really like mentally damaging amount of trash talk. But you'll still get to hear it nonetheless. I mean, I don't even know who talks the best trash in OKC's team. Like probably Chris Paul because he's the most like savvy veteran guy that has is most qualified because Steven Adams, he's just a joy. And uh, Danilo Gallinari, they don't, the European players, not, they don't really trash talk too much. And Shea's too young. And Dennis Schroeder, again, European players don't talk too much trash. So it's just, I'm really curious to, to see that. Like, of course, like it would have been nice to have this, the things mic'd up a lot more with Mello there because I mean he already cusses already when he gets a rebound. I want to see, I want to hear what he's saying on the court already. So we'll get a yeah. chance maybe to hear some of that. So I think I'm really excited for that, and I'm really excited for sports to return in any capacity whatsoever. Um, I do question the morality behind those eight random games in addition to these these glorified preseason like scrimmages that they're supposed to have have because like. I get they want to get their they want to get in NBA shape again. They want to get in their playing shape again because a lot of these players, although they've been like working out and running during the quarantine and whatever else is going on, that doesn't mean you're NBA ready. And I get that they what they're doing that, but like if you were already having this preseason like or essentially in season scrimmages to get ready, then what's the point having those eight other games and inviting eight other teams other than just like grabbing as much money as you can? Um, like, is it because, and people are going to say, well, they want Zion in the playoffs and stuff like that. And like, I could see that happening, you know, because people will tune in to say, all right, well, Zion, you know, if we can get him in the playoffs and the Pelicans healthy, they have a legitimate shot to like, at least make the game against the Lakers pretty interesting. 
So there's that, but I'm just really excited to see it return. And speaking of returning, a lot of players are returning on campus regarding college football. Um, I think Army had like more than 10 guys come back to campus that tested positive for COVID-19. These are not guys that like that they're really sick. And, you know, these are guys that asymptomatic. They are tested and told don't. They're, they are either tested before they get on campus or, or right before they get on campus. And they say, okay, well, you're going to have to quarantine a lot more. And Oklahoma State's own, um, Oben, 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 I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best. Like yeah. It's like, it's like spelled like Obo, Obanaya. Uh, but yeah. it's, it's, he's got a little extra there at the end. And they're both Nigerian, I believe. But he t- he's a middle linebacker, inside linebacker, test positive for COVID-19. And this is how they're going to frame it. And it made me so angry because this man just went to a Tulsa, a Tulsa protest for um, the human rights efforts going on right now. And people are like, oh, he tested positive after going to a protest. It's like that was a day ago. Like that was a day and a half ago. He didn't know. Like <laughs> – like he could have had this stuff for literally a week and not known it because he he was asymptomatic like several other players that are doing that and so like people are gonna say and he came out with a statement later but ESPN and everybody else is not gonna run they're not gonna run with that statement that says oh yeah I got this at the protest he came out with a statement that said you know like I didn't I didn't get COVID at the protest I just we got tested before we get on came on campus and I had it and I I want everybody else to get tested just so they're aware because. You know, Alabama, they had five guys came back positive today, too. And every school, every institution, OU, no matter how careful Lincoln Riley's being regarding that July 1st date, there are going to be players at the University of Oklahoma that test positive that come back to campus. And you know what? A lot of them probably will be asymptomatic. And it's just that that really concerns people with spreading this virus is because a lot of these people, a lot of these young people from, you know, you know, young, young kids to in their mid twenties, they, they can have it and they're not going to know it. And that's the issue right now. in spreading it is that not people that are sick that are going out and spreading it. It's people that are asymptomatic that are spreading it to people that are unbeknownst to them. You know, what is it? Even immunocompromised and stuff like that. So I thought that was really interesting. And now, a company, I forget which company it is, which really makes me upset. I think it's shut or shoot or whatever you want to say it. S-C-H-U-T-T. Yeah. I don't know how you pronounce that company, but company. Yeah. they are developing and have developed, but it's like a, it's a, uh, oh, what do you call it? A promo? What is it? Not, it's not a promo. Oh, a prototype? A prototype, model, whatever. A different helmet for that has like a shield, almost like hockey helmets, like a full face shield with along with your face mask, along with a face covering that you can pull down almost like a like it's like almost like a hockey mask with a with a motorcycle shield they can pull up to your face over your nose um, underneath your helmet to protect players regarding or somewhat protect players regarding the virus during the season. And I think that's incredible with the ingenuity. Now I wonder how much those helmets would cost, but what do you think about these helmet companies coming out with saying, Hey, these are better for your public health. And do you think they would be effective? Or do you think, do you think that schools would just say, you know what? 
we're going to test these players week in and week out. And if they catch it, we're going to quarantine them. We're not going to buy your more expensive helmets. What do you think would happen here? I think it's a good idea. And it, you know, it's also a good look as far as, um, you know, they're, they're, they're actively taking these measures uh, to, to, to make at least part of this, this return to the field safer for players. But I, I don't know. To me, if it, if it, if that's when they're wearing it is when they're on the field already, I kind of feel like it's, it would be largely ineffective. Like, I don't think it'll have a difference because I think if, if teams are testing their players, I mean, I guess some teams, depending on like, resources and stuff maybe aren't able to test their players as often as others um like a school like OU probably could easily test their players you know like you said once a week or something um if they're doing that and then the, the players are you know staying you know their 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 results are coming back negative I think that's that that's what's going to be the biggest uh factor to, to keep them from transmitting this and but I mean there's also the they do need to test them quite often because, you know, going to classes and stuff, you're, you're being exposed. And I know yep. there's, I've seen how OU's uh, guidelines for what they kind of want to do in their classrooms to create social distance and just to, to limit, I guess, as much as they can, the any chances of spreading the disease, but uh, the, the virus, but um, it's, I don't know, maybe I just, I'm, it's the pessimist in me. I just don't think it'll work. I, not that it's going to happen, but I just don't think it's going to like increase the, the, I guess the, the guard as far as I think the, the, that part is going to come down as just weekly or routine testing. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's a good look. And, and, and if OU was, if, if that's a thing that's on the market and like available for all uh, programs to, to go out and get for their team, I'd be I'd be glad to see OU go that route. But at the same time, I wouldn't be upset if they didn't. Yeah, I don't. I really don't think. I I, I think that's really cool if they make that. I think they're really. I think it's really awesome that they're thinking these. You know, innovators are thinking about protecting players even further. But I don't know how much it moves the needle for programs that are testing weekly and even probably daily, te- like thermometer checks and probably weekly testing them. I don't know how much it moves the needle for big schools to say, all right, well, we're going to move to these new helmets for this year and we'll see what happens, especially if let's say there's a vaccine in December, who knows, you know, there's a lot of things up in the air regarding a virus and how you can protect against it and all these other things. And I think it's really awesome with the innovation. But again, like you said, I don't know how much it moves the needle. Um, I don't, I don't know how much of a different difference it does make, but something that schools are talking about right now is uh, many schools have already even stated this, which is they're shutting down their, their semester after Thanksgiving, you know, after you go home for that week and a half, they don't want you coming back for another two weeks, which I always thought was pretty stupid anyways. Um, but yeah, they don't want you coming back after Thanksgiving break, stay home. You know, we'll see you in the spring when hopefully there's a, a vaccination who knows, but do you think this has a, maybe an effect on bowl games and let's say let's, let's pretend it does let's say you know what there are no bowl games um what's the ramification do you think on college football if there are no bowl games and the powers that be name a national title or name a, a national champion uh 
like they used to in which people voted in the AP and the coaches poll and they all combined things basically like a BCS sort of deal where they just plugged it all in in numbers and said, all right, here's a number team. Here's the number one team. What do you think the ramifications for all that is? I was thinking about this and I, I could very well see that there not be a bowl, a bowl season. Um, but at the same time, I think the people, the, the powers that be, they, they would be aware enough to know that, there's a if if we do end up playing a full 12 game season or you know even if it's shortened maybe 10 or 11 whatever um i think at that point they would be the goal would be to at least have maybe the the new year six games or just the playoffs just, mm-hmm. um i think that could be something that everybody is still trying to get to so we won't have the you know, the San Diego County Credit Union points set a yeah. bowl. So maybe not the, the GoDaddyBowl.com. <laughs> yeah, the Cherry Bunny Tart Cherry Boca Raton Bowl. I love yeah. saying all these, like, really long <laughs> But um, The yeah, well, But we could have – yeah, well, like, what is that? Like, something that Texas A&M loses to yeah. Wake Forest yeah. or something? <laughs> uh, yeah, like, I think that – I think we'll, we'll have that at the – at least for, like, me saying this on June, what is it, 3rd? fourth yeah uh i think that we will have that level of bowl season and and for now i'm still kind of like i'm probably on the fence as far as the smaller ones but i think it's a great idea though for the universities to at least the ones that are switching to just shortening the or not shortening semester but concluding this fall semester in the thanksgiving uh week instead of yeah like coming back for just it's always just been a weird (laughs) It's like a week and a half. Done, like you but... come back for dead week, and then there's finals. And like, all right, go back home. Like, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially for our students, yeah, that, are, that live pretty far away. Like, if they do leave it, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's really, a, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, it would pain me because I'd love bowl season. Like I always say that it's yes. my favorite season of the year. You know, it's bowl season. It's football on it's, every day. Every day, yeah, like just random times. Just Look at these obscure seven and five teams play whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just football injected into my veins. Exactly, yeah. I'm just a junkie in that way. So I, it'll that part of me will be sad about it, but I'll mm-hmm. totally understand it and probably I'll, I will agree if that's like the route they choose to go for safety reasons. Because, yeah, that's logistically like all that travel and everything is just – that's it's probably an unnecessary risk you know, looking yeah. at the, the big picture and i i agree with that and like and like in like we've been talking about this thing changes like we are we as humans and people living in the united states and around the world are living their lives like on a on a bi-weekly basis now it used to be day to day used to be week to week now it's kind of like every other week as far as like things happening things changing like just the other day we were supposed to not take um, NSA IDs, which is like, you know, like aspirin or whatever. Uh, you're supposed to take acetaminophen, and now all of a sudden it says, wait, hold up. That was a bad study. You're able to take Tylenol or whatever now. So it's just people finding out new things about this virus every day, and we learn so many different things, and all this stuff that we talk about is conditional. Like, we are supposed to have a season, and it looks like we will have a season, just like the NBA will be returning, but something might come up, or something might come up that suggests that, you know, 
instead of maybe 20, 30% of the fans in the stands, maybe there's going to be some sort of treatment that allows 50 to 60% of fans in the stands, which I highly doubt. But again, I'm proving that saying it's all this is conditional. None of this is promised. Um, you could have like, let's say in the middle of a season, Nick Saban comes out with COVID-19 and is in the ICU. You don't think the SEC is going to shut that shit down? You, I guarantee you they're going to shut it down and really stammer and say, okay, maybe not. Maybe let's not do this. So anything about this season is conditional, and that's why Lincoln Riley is taking that approach of saying, you have one shot. And July 1st, that's the latest we can come back to get a football team ready. Fantastic. Let's do it as safe as we can. And that's what everybody is all about. But Seth, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Um, it's really always great to talk to you. I mean, when we're not on Twitter or whatever else, but of course, tell everybody where they can find your stuff on, along at Crimson and Cream Machine. Yeah, so uh, if you frequent Crimson and Cream Machine, you'll probably see my, well, now like every other day, hot mm-hmm. links and stuff. But yeah, on the Twitter sphere is where I'm uh, normally lurking. Uh, and I, I'll share a little bit of my input every now and then this week more than others but uh yeah you can find me at seth oliveris uh it's like oliver as on the end but yeah you might have seen it already <laughs> i always tell people that's how i tell people over the phone uh spell it because it's, it's kind of weird but yeah uh just say hey um participate in any uh random polls that i come out with uh, i try to come out with the most random ones that i can sometimes so you know i hope to see you all there all right, and thanks to you guys for listening amid all this virus and all these things happening in the states at this time. And really appreciate you guys for listening and staying with us ever since, gosh, since, since March and seems like forever ago. Um, follow us on CrimsonCreamMachine.com, like Seth said. You know, he's dropping a lot of things almost daily now, and everything's brought to you guys by SB Nation. Follow us on at CC Machine. At J. Larry Shields, Jack couldn't make it today. Uh, at Blatant Homerism and Alan Kenny, who drops wonderful things. Um, I'm at Kamarabi and CCM. Again, really appreciate you guys listening. Drop us a five-star rating. Really appreciate it. Makes it easier to find us. And, well, we just really appreciate the feedback. So, until next time, we'll check you guys later.